With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo. GOAT, G O A T, acronym, stands for Greatest of All Time. As in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit adoptuskids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. I also encourage you to follow us on Spotify. We're on Stitcher, iHeart Music, Amazon Music. Uh, we're on iTunes, as well as here at Blog Talk Radio. Thank you so much for your support. I really appreciate it. I hope you've enjoyed the shows. I hope you can share them with others. Um, there's a lot of shows that are fun and happy, and then we have great informational shows um, that about, you know, like I'm doing later on about autism or multiple sclerosis, all types of things. So uh, we just did one on housing. That was just last Wednesday. They're all archived, and you can listen to them uh, on any of those platforms. This morning I have a wonderful author, um, she, this is her second novel we'll be talking about, but her debut novel, Housey Street, was a finalist for the 2018 Kirkus Prize for Fiction and long-listed for the VCU Cable First Novelist Award. Her stories and essays have appeared in the New York Times, Quelly, the Paris Review Daily, The Cut, the Sunday Times, Catapult, The Rumpus, and elsewhere. She is a National Book Foundation Under 35 honoree for 2020. We're going to be talking about her book, What's Mine and Yours. Naima Koster, good morning. Good morning, Joy. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for writing the book so that you could come on the show. (laughs) This is, um, we just were speaking, there's so many layers in your book that we will not be able to discuss everything. But just give the audience a little taste. What is the book about, just in a general statement? Yes. What's Mine and Yours is about two families that are brought together when a public high school in a North Carolina city becomes integrated. One family chooses to oppose the integration and one supports it. The two mothers are on opposite sides of the issue and then their children come together in the school during the production of a school play. Yeah, and the school play, can I tell them, like, I don't want to give the school play happens to be Shakespeare and if you're if you're you know really cool you can see the connections between the play and the book she wrote (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah um yes I that that was very cool um but let's start with you of course at the beginning of why a writer you know how come you're not a nurse how come you know you're not a you know trash person 
You didn't become a dancer. What, what's the writing bug? How did that? How did that get you? Yeah, well, that's a good question, and I think it's one that people in my family are still asking themselves, like in terms of <laughs> why, why, why to become a writer. I mean, I think that I grew up hearing a lot of family stories and family lore. Um, my family's all from the Caribbean, so I would always hear stories about the places that our family had been, and that's how I came to know those places. So stories were very important to me, and I always wondered about, like, what got left out of those stories, like, mostly things like feelings and, like, what it was like to be in one place and have your parents in another, um, what it was like to be an outsider, an immigrant, just, like, the deep feelings that didn't always come through in the stories. And I think that I became a writer to press into some of those questions and gaps. Now, that's a um, big issue in the country now, you know, immigration and um, who is an immigrant, uh, who's the right immigrant, quote, unquote, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, Yes. Because, I mean, what are your feelings about that that issue? Who is the right immigrant? Well, I think it's a troubling question because it skirts the question of what people deserve or what are fundamental human rights. You know, we can get caught up in, is that person a good immigrant or a bad immigrant? What does that person deserve? As opposed to thinking about what immigrants and what people of color deserve simply because we're human. You know, like there are plenty of people Mm -hmm. in my family who would not be considered good immigrants. But it doesn't mean that they weren't loved, that they weren't loving, and that they didn't have a place in their communities. So I try not to get caught up in that question. I think it's a really dangerous question for people of color that's used to explain mm-hmm. um, our oppression and exclusion. Like, are we good enough? Yes. Yes. I mean, everybody, I think, deserves health care. Everybody deserves a roof over their head, um, food. And we have plenty of all these things. We're so wasteful. Uh, here yeah. and and um, wasting our food, plastics, uh, the environment, so many things. Um, yet and still, I believe there is this angst of this anxiety of if I let someone else in, then I'm not going to have enough for myself and my family. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I think that mm-hmm. this is actually one of the central issues in my book, you know, which isn't about immigration per se, but it's about school integration and, you know, the white parents who want to hoard opportunity for their children, they have that anxiety. If we let in these kids, what's going to happen to my kids? Um, And then there are all kinds of arguments that get rolled out about whether, you know, the kids from the largely black east side of town deserve the same opportunities. Are they good kids? Are they bad kids? What are their home lives like? I think it's a question that haunts our public life and always has to do with race. You know, and people don't want to say that word. And they even in your book, in the uh, initial, um, in the auditorium, the meeting with the, the town meeting, you know, people don't want to say it's race. And mm-hmm. you, we, we talked in the conversation right before we began about, you know, race is a construct. We have to understand that. We agree that brown is brown and, you know, white is white. That's, that's an agreement that we've all made. We agree that a price mm-hmm. of bread is a certain amount and, 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 and apples are another price. But that's because we agree. Why couldn't they be some other price? I mean, why couldn't apple be $500? Why, 
you know. Right. So right. Why why is why is a black person a black person? Maybe they're not just a black person, and yet there's Latino and white people mixed in your in your book, and somehow, again, they're the right people. They're okay as long as they're not black. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know, in, that's... in your book. Yeah, it's true in the context of the book, you know, like those two families that I mentioned, as you said, one is a a black family headed by a woman named Jade, and her son G is one of the young people who enters this school, Central High School, in this unnamed North Carolina town, and the other family is headed by Lacey May, this white woman who has these half-Latina daughters, but to her, they're just white. And Columbia is a place that their father is from. Um, and all of those daughters, she has three daughters, they all identify differently and, and move through the world differently. And they all look different. They have different colors. So through that family, there was a lot I was able to learn about um, Latinx identity. Now, one of the things we, we say, mothers, you're a mother, I'm a mother. I, I read that when you were writing this book, you were pregnant. Is that true? That is true. That is true. Yeah. So now how how do you feel now about your two babies? <laughs> your your yeah. physical human baby and, and this book baby. Has have things changed about how you view them um in the world and how people are gonna accept them or not accept them? Yeah, well you know, when I was writing this book the the child I was carrying was mostly an idea to me, you know, like I didn't know who she was going to be, what it was really like, what it was really going to be like to be her mother. I had sort of dreams and hopes. Um, and now she is very real. Like she's almost two years old um, and motherhood is much harder and much more rewarding than I imagined that it would be. So it was interesting to write this book um, with ideas of motherhood and and mostly an interest in difficult parent-child relationships. My first book is about um, a broken family finding its way back to each other. And both of the families in this book have suffered great losses and are trying to put their lives back together um, after sort of unexpected tragedy. Um, So becoming a mother, I think, helped me connect much more in revising the book to some of the tolls and difficulty of being the person who holds it all together, which is what the mothers in this book are doing. They're not perfect, but they're certainly trying to keep their families intact. So I had much more empathy for them in revision. And I also was able to write in some of the moments of deep meaning and pleasure that can come from having a child. Yeah. You also talk about, um, I just almost feel like um, there's trauma you initially, what you initially think is trauma, like the big trauma, you know, there's like the big traumas that happen. I don't want to give away certain things. And then you see these smaller moments of, I I hate to say smaller trauma, like trauma and smaller, does that go together? But um, trauma is trauma and everybody deals with it differently. And you see how the mothers are dealing with it um, kind of, um, medicating, you know, themselves, and then some, the children, in essence, are also medicating themselves, maybe not with medicine, but in other ways, if I'm, you mm-hmm. understand what I'm saying, right? The, the I do. character, um, you know, he's, he's, he's doing certain things to, quote, I'll just put quotes around that, medicate himself. Um, mm-hmm. in, in your life, have you had trauma 
and do you mind me asking how you dealt with it or people around you and how they dealt with it? Yeah, I mean, I've absolutely had trauma in my life, which is why I think I, I write about it again and again. Um, I think that, you know, something that I've seen in my family and in my communities is this like fierce determination to press on and keep going, which I'm grateful for because it's, you know, allowed me to have my life um, and has allowed my family, you know, to survive for generations. But I've seen less of an emphasis on um, experiences of like real reckoning or grappling with what happened. Um, And I've been fortunate in my life to go to therapy um, I, I go to, I've been going to therapy for 10 years. I plan on continuing to go. And just having that space to grieve and to confront difficult truths has been immensely healing for me. And so, you know, in my novels, there are these two families that have suffered in different ways, like Jade and G have suffered a terrible loss, and then Lacey May's husband struggles with addiction and is in and out of their lives. And those mothers also focus a lot on the future because they know that the obstacles their families face are big enough to consume them. Um, But in focusing on the future, they maybe miss creating some of those spaces to grieve, to talk about what's happened, to be close. And so that's one of the things that the book looks at, like what happens to those repressed emotions and what happens to intimacy and communication in a family when you try to bury all the losses. Yeah, there's really a lack of communication in, in many of these relationships. Um, and But like you had said, the moms are trying to hold things together so they're doing the best that they can. And I think the children, and, and I think children in general in, in the world sometimes don't realize what their parents were going through. You know, their parents were human, you know, mm-hmm. and we don't look at our parents as human maybe ever. Some people never look at their parents as human. They are the parents. You know, they're on this side mm. And others, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, have to face the fact that their parents are human, maybe because of addiction, you know, that's mm-hmm. maybe because they went to jail. You know, that, that, that you, can't, you can't not face that somebody went to jail. You're not going to see them for the next 20 years or 15 years or even five years, you know, whatever the time period. They went to jail. And many brown and black people are in jail and children are suffering. And nobody's really um, handling or dealing with that issue. They're just like, oh, all these black pa- all these black men or women are in jail. Well, what about their children? Their children right. didn't ask to, to ask to be here, you know. Mm-hmm. So how do we help them, you know? Um, and that that um, is is a really big issue. Now, do you do you have a chance to look over something to read today? Are you able to do that? Yes. Yes. I am able okay. to read today. Let me just turn. I'm going to read. I, I had asked uh, Naina to read something from the book for you guys, so um, yes. you get a little taste. Yes, happy to. I'm going to read from a scene in the novel where G, who I mentioned, is with his mother, Jade, at the meeting in the auditorium, Joy, that you mentioned, and they're listening mm-hmm. to parents who oppose the integration um, mm-hmm. talk talk, and so G is there with Jade and he's also there with a woman who lives with them who's like a grandmother figure to him named Lynette. All okay. right, and I'm going to read mm-hmm. starting with one of the speeches that G hears. A woman with let me see 
A meek-mannered woman with a short black bob and glasses edged to the microphone as if it caused her great pain to do so. She began in a low voice. Everybody deserves a fair shot in life. I believe that. I always have. That's what America's about. My son is applying for college this year, and I've heard it on good authority that this wasn't random, that these kids were handpicked because they're star students. And now my kid's ranking is going to fall. What has my son been working for if these new students are going to come in underneath his nose and steal everything he's been working for and everything we've all been working for? Everything we do is for him. I know this isn't about integration. It isn't about what's right. They put nice words in the pamphlets, but I'm not fooled. This is about money, 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 and the city being greedy. They're playing around with my kid's future. Central might not hit that county quota of no more than 40% of students on free or reduced lunch because we may leave. A lot of us may leave. I'm looking into private school for my girls because I can't trust the administration here and I can no longer trust the city I've lived in and that my family has lived in for generations, for over 100 years. G felt Lynette stir beside him. Her leg thumped underneath her and she nodded her hands in her lap. She was nervous and it was catching. He leaned away from her in his seat. Jade reached over to take Lynette's hand and steady her. The women locked fingers. Jade was swinging her head from side to side, disagreeing with the latest speaker at the podium. G knew it was only a matter of time before she burst. Next, there was a man in a plaid shirt, a long beard and sideburns. He pointed at the floor for emphasis with every sentence. He was so steady, so even, it was terrifying. Am I the only one who will say it? These kids could be bad kids. How are you gonna keep our kids safe? Are we gonna put in metal detectors? What about in the hallway when my daughter is walking between her classes? And what about the parking lot? We ought to put cameras out there. G felt his vision tunnel, the room around him turned to black at the edges. He mopped his forehead with his sleeves. He was turning inward, closing up. He nearly missed Adira sliding to the microphone, her hands clasped primly in front of her, her head high. My name is Adira Howard, and I'll be a junior here at Central next fall. I came tonight because I was excited, because I want a future too. G wondered at Adira. She was stupid and brave and beautiful all at once. My family has been here for generations too, and I deserve my future as much as anybody else. It hurts to know I'm not welcome here at a school that's only 15 minutes away from my house because of the color of my skin. There was an encouraging whistle from the front row and the Howards stood up clapping for their girl. A few white grown-ups stood too to applaud Adira and she wondered why they hadn't spoken yet. Where were all the people who had published op-eds in the paper about the benefits of the program? Where was that majority who supported this change? When the booze started up again, while Adira was still at the microphone, Jade sprang up to stand in line. A balding man in a crimson polo shirt was set to speak first. He shook his head for a long while before he began. This is not about race, he said. This is about fairness. We don't have to give up our rights to the whims of whoever is in office right now. I know it must have taken guts for that little girl to stand up here and speak, but young lady, you're dead wrong. This has nothing to do with the color of your skin. I taught at North Carolina A&T, a historically black college, for 20 years before moving here. I am not a racist, and it's criminal for you or anyone to suggest 
I am. There was hooting and screaming for the man at the microphone. The principal hammered at her podium with a gavel she hadn't used before. The school officials fidgeted on stage, except for the black teacher who sat calmly on the edge of his seat, his hands folded into a steeple. His eyes were invisible behind the sheen of his glasses. She wondered how he managed to sit up there with all of these people watching, whether it was better to be on stage or in the crowd in moments like this. Next, it was Jade. And I'll pause there. Hmm, I'm not a racist because I taught at a black school. Yes, yes. Things I have heard you people know, say not, to me. <laughs> I'm not a racist because I have a black friend. I have an Asian mm-hmm. friend. I, I have a Latino mm-hmm. friend. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not a racist because I go and volunteer at such and such place. Yes. But what, and that's but the worst the thing, thing you we could have do. Blinders. Oh, sorry. yes. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and the idea that, that it's cruel to name racism and that it's a great offense to to tell somebody that something they have done or said or something about our society is racist. The, I was interested in that idea, how that, you know, sort of how people get gaslit and told that they're the ones doing something wrong when they name injustice. It's, it's similar to, I mean, I'll bring you the sexual, sexual assault and the whole Me Too thing. It's like, how dare you say that I would do, you know, assault a woman or something like that or, or assault a man? How, how dare you say I would assault another person? You know, I, mm-hmm. I've, I've never done anything that other people, they always were consensual. Yes. Like, you know, it, it, how dare you say something like that to me? And, and it's mm-hmm. so how people are in denial, you know, they're yeah. in denial about what they're doing. And it's like when you're in a relationship and your partner says, I don't like ketchup, but you keep putting ketchup on the side of the plate for the egg. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I mean, I'm being really light about it. I know that's not, that's not the deep, but I'm just saying we're not listening. You're not listening. Mm-hmm. If you want to have a human relationship with me, and part of that is listening and listening that this is what I'm experiencing. You may not be experiencing that, but this is what I'm experiencing. Please respect that and, and, and recognize that. <clears throat> you know, I think that that, that is an important issue. Um, and that's something that is um, brought up again in the book multiple times, uh, this issue of race and, and who is who's, who's the right race um, the, the issue of women is really strong, though. I, I want to go back to that, the, the issue of women and what women have to do to survive. And one of the yes. characters ends up, you know, marrying, um, well, both of them. They do things. The women do things that they wouldn't normally do if they had a good economic base. Mm-hmm. Um, that, is, that, uh, what do you think? Do you see that around you and, and where you grew up or people and – you know, people look down on them and, and say, well, why were they doing that? That's saying people look down on people who are poor and the things they have to yes. do to, to, to survive poverty. Yeah, you know, I was really interested in, in writing women who are mothers but had had dreams and ideas for their lives as well as the lives of their children. You know, both of the mothers in this book, Jade and Lacey May, are women who feel that they have thwarted potential, but they've been consumed by the business of survival and so they do the best that they can for their children and their things that they're they get right and their things that they miss 
And I think one of the pleasures for me of writing this multi-generational novel is that I get to write about the mothers when they're young mothers, like when they're, they're in their 20s. And then I get to write about them into their 40s and 50s. And I also get to write about their children when they're very young and into adulthood. Um, so I can look at, you know, how the choices the mothers made determine the shapes of their children's futures and, and how they, you know, reckon with that when the children are all grown up. You also bring in the issue of LGBTQI uh, issue and how um, it's, but it still goes back to race, that that particular mm-hmm. character would be more acceptable than the black husband of one of the other characters. Yeah. So it, it's just it's just amazing, you know, because because the the person who happens to be um, part of the LGBTQI community is is not black, so they're acceptable, but the black male husband is not acceptable mm-hmm. to some degree, you know. Let me yes. talk about you real quick. We only have a couple minutes. Go ahead. You were going to say something? Oh no, go ahead. So when you get writer's block, what do you do? Um, well, I try to tell myself that I, that writer, that there is no writer's block. <laughs> like, I try to okay. tell myself that, <laughs> that, you know, that like writing isn't just about inspiration. It's like a practice. It's a discipline. So even if I feel that I have writer's block, I, I make myself write. Sometimes I can't work on, I can't write pages. Like I can't go to the next chapter, but I'll do something else. Like, I'll say, okay, I'm stuck at this point in the novel, so let me write about, you know, a trip this character took to the museum. Or let me write about this character's childhood. Let me write about how they look. Like, let me just do some other kind of writing um, just so that I keep, you know, keep sitting in the chair and I keep up the practice and the discipline, even if I can't use those pages. Um, And sometimes, you know, like, if I know that I'm generally feeling stuck, I'll try to do something to reset my mind, like go for a walk. Um, That's Mm -hmm. always, like, cleansing and helps me focus. Now, do you think, uh, we mentioned earlier, we weren't on the air, but are you going to write about um, romance or sci-fi or something other than mothers uh, in the future? Uh, what's coming up for you in the future? Let's ask that. What's, what's, what's coming yes. up? Yes. Well, I'm writing another book about motherhood. Um, oh, here we it'll go. Be, it'll be different. You know, like this book is a multi-generational novel and it goes back and forth in time. The book that I'm working on now, it focuses on two lifelong friends who Mm -hmm. are pregnant at the same time and they decide Mm. to move to the same city so that they can raise their girls together. And it's a beautiful dream, but they have really different experiences of motherhood. And part of that is because they have different birth experiences. They're in different marriages and they have different amounts of money. Although they grew up in the Mm. same community, their lives took divergent paths and one of them is wealthy and one of them is broken struggling. And so the book, follows how becoming mothers and having such different experiences of motherhood changes the friendship between these two women. It's amazing. I always, um, I, I was struggling when I, when my, my daughter was younger and I remember watching like, you know, stars and they would have, you know, their nannies and they got the cook and they got this and they're like, Oh my God, it's just so <laughs> difficult. Like, <laughs> and they got like a nanny for each kid. And I'm like looking at them like, 
if I could just have money to pay my rent this month, and you're yes. freaking sitting up here with a nanny, a cook, the gardener, so on and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, everybody's experience as a mother is, is different. Um, so different. And, uh, yeah. Now, uh, what do you see? Just real quick, we have a lot of stuff going on in, in the society right now in America, j- dealing with race and all types of things. And what will you tell your child? when they get older and how to deal with authority and particularly the police? Oh, what a question. Um, I think, well, my daughter is two um, and I, I'm already trying to find age appropriate ways to tell her about the world that she lives in. But I've been asked this question before. And what I say is this is actually a question where I feel like I need guidance from my elders. Like mm. I, I, I'm a mother, I'm a writer. Sometimes I think we think that mothers and writers have the answers to life's questions, and I don't. Like, this is something mm-hmm. that I need to go to my godparents about. I need to go to my aunts about. Like, I need to go to my elders for guidance um, and and take what, what I think is valuable and what has worked for them. Um, I don't know what I'm going to say to my daughter, um, but mm-hmm. I know that this is something that I'm going to seek guidance from others on, trying to strike a, a balance between I want her to feel free, I want her to yes. feel joy, um, but I also want her to be able to keep herself safe. But I do know that what I'll tell her is that um, the way the world is structured is not because there's anything wrong with her or wrong with her family or her people. Like that I will be sure to say, that it is not because That's- something is wrong with you. That is wonderful. I want to thank you so much for coming on today. I hope you have a great weekend, and I hope you watch out terrible, too. She's going to be grabbing all the books, okay? (laughs) Yeah, wish me luck. Thank you so much, Joy. Thank you for all you do. Okay. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Um, Just got off the phone with author Naima Costa. I'm going to be giving some copies of her book away, so you want to follow me at Joy Keith on Twitter. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keith. And on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. Stay tuned. I'm going to be doing a show about autism, so um, you can check us out in a couple of minutes. We'll be talking with two professionals um, about autism and what does that mean and what is it and how to get assistance. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting a Teenager Learning the Lingo. GOAT, G O A T, acronym, stands for Greatest of All Time, as in Spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the goat. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.